We live in a society that offers instant change. We watch TV and we change the channels at the speed of thought, like this. We look at our phone, we get frustrated when it's a little laggy. Now maybe it's time to get a new one because it doesn't scroll immediately as I put my finger to it. Why doesn't that button work the right way? And then, right, of course, then you end up accidentally calling somebody you didn't mean to call, and then they, you quick hit, you know, hang up, but then they call you back like, hey, what's up? Uh, and then you have a whole conversation about how you didn't actually really want to talk to them anyway. I just got an air fryer for Christmas, and let me tell you, that thing will turn out fried chicken faster than the oven will preheat. We listen to music, and if we're not feeling it, we'll stop mid-song, and then um, switch to something else, switch to something else, switch to something else. Back in the days of vinyl, some of you know what I'm talking about here, you'd drop that needle, and you just listened to that thing until you heard the song you actually wanted to hear, because you didn't maybe really know, okay, where's, where's track three? Somewhere in here. Well, I guess we'll just suffer through tracks one and two. Kids, you can ask your parents about that someday. Because we change channels and screens and food and music very easily and very quickly, we think we should also be able to change our lives quickly and easily, don't we? We're in a series in the book of Exodus, and today I want to talk with you about how God changed Moses, and this is worth our time because God uses the same process to change you today. Same process he uses to change me. And note I say process, and that's intentional because godly change is a process that takes time and rewards perseverance. Exodus 2, which we didn't read this morning, but it's important for, the, for this preaching and important for the context here. You can read in Exodus 2 that one day when Moses was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. What does Moses do? Moses kills that Egyptian. The next day, Moses sees the same Israelite, that one he just rescued, and he expects maybe that the Israelite's going to be thankful. Like, oh, Moses, that was, I mean, you saved my life. But instead, this Israelite says, oh, here he comes again. Are you going to kill me too? Uh, now this is a big uh-oh moment for Moses because the word is out. The Pharaoh finds out. Moses knows he's going to be taken out, and so he gets out of Dodge. He flees Egypt and heads into the wilderness of Midian, where he gets married and ends up working as a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro, for 40 years. And this is where we pick up in Exodus 3, verse 1. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. For 40 years, all Moses saw were sheep, 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 more sheep. I'm told that sheep are pretty dumb. I'm told that sheep are kind of smelly. 40 years, this is what he does. He has to be thinking, this isn't what I thought my life was going to be. I used to be a prince in Egypt. This has got to change. It happens to us too, doesn't it? We get stuck in ruts. What is it for you, do you think? Are you overly critical of other people? Is your spending way out of control? Have you lost your zeal for spiritual practices, reading the Bible, prayer, following hard after Jesus. Just like Moses, we say, this isn't right. It's got to change. But how? How does that happen? The process, remember, process of change begins with God's presence. The messenger of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. This is no ordinary messenger, by the way. This is Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. And this is no ordinary fire. This is the fire of God. 
The fire of God appears when God calls Gideon and also Amos later in the Old Testament. This is the fire of God that comes down on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' ascension. Tongues of flame resting above the apostle's head. The anointing, the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus even says that we are baptized with fire. We are baptized in the fire of God. Why is it that God is present in fire? Well, what what happens in fire? Things change. Fire changes things. It's a chemical and physical reaction. So what does Moses say? He says, here I am. Or in Hebrew, if you prefer, hinani. It's kind of catchy. Hinani. Here I am. Hinani means, God, I'm at your service. It means I'm ready to change. It means take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. If you know that one. If you don't, that maybe was just a weird moment. But it still means, take my life, God. Change me. Do what you want. I'm at your disposal. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. I know their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. God says, I know their suffering. He knows your suffering. He loves you right where you are, and yet what does God say? I have come down to rescue them. He loves you too much to leave you in your suffering. He's going to do something about it. Change is coming. In fact, change probably is already happening. This process of of change (laughs) continues with God's plan. The cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them, God says. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses (laughs) is at this point perhaps thinking like, "Mm, oh, I wish you would have said this 40 years ago, God. Uh, because then I was 40 and not 80. And at that point, I still had status and power and influence in Egypt because I was an Egyptian prince. But now I'm a fugitive, I'm an outlaw, and I'm a stinking shepherd whom the Egyptians loathe. So he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God doesn't say at this point, Moses, come on, where's your confidence? Where's your get up and go? You can do it. He doesn't give him a pep talk. Why? Because who am I is always the wrong question to ask when we're talking about change. Who am I, when God is working on changing you, is dead wrong. The right question is, who is God? Who are you, God? He's the God who changes us through a process. He asks us to live by faith. He tells Moses, this is going to be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you, right? That it is God who has sent you to do this. When you have brought everyone out of Egypt, at the end of the road, Moses, not tomorrow, not next week, when this is all done, you all are going to come back and worship me here on this mountain, Horeb, or as we might know it more um, familiarly, Mount Sinai. This mountain, you're going to come back here to Mount Sinai when this is all done. And you might be thinking, "Mm, that seems like kind of a long way away. I wish that I could have a sign like right now. Lord, illumine the path for me so that my next step I know is a sure one. But remember, change is a process. God leads us one step 
at a time. He says, you will see my plan unfold when you keep on saying, Hinani, here I am. God calls us to keep taking steps toward getting our finances in order, to not be so critical of other people, to get serious about the words we use, to repair that relationship where the ball is in our court. If we are refusing to forgive someone, right? God calls us to keep taking steps toward being more humble and more loving. And his promise is, at the end of the road, we will worship him at that mountain. And now, have you ever picked up a piece of plywood? This is maybe more a guy thing, I suppose. Have you ever picked up a piece of plywood that's been laying out in your yard for a while? You know, you tip that thing up, and the spiders and the roaches and maybe even the snakes go <laughs> all over the place. I mean, what do you do? Your, your reaction is to kind of like drop that thing and be like, oh, I wasn't expecting all that. Mm, change is kind of like that. Ugly, scary things, strange life forms you weren't expecting. We don't want to deal with that kind of stuff when you open that door and turn on the light in the shed or the basement or wherever it might be, lift up the plywood. And so we throw it down, close the door, run away, and we convince ourselves, we kind of swindle ourselves into thinking that, hey, maybe change is not really what I need. The status quo looks better and better now that I know kind of what change is presenting itself as. That looks gross. That looks too costly. That looks like something I don't really want to be part of. That, that seems uncomfortable. Finally, the process of change. God be praised, is sustained by his provision because if it were up to us, we would bail out. Moses, he has got three excuses for why he won't change. The first is, I don't know your name. What am I supposed to, I mean, if they ask me, what's his name? When I say the God of your fathers has sent me to you, well, God gives Moses his name. He says, I am, or Yahweh. Jesus, given to us, is the great I am, not in a burning bush, but flesh and blood like us. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said. And he said this too, I am the resurrection and the life. The second excuse Moses has is that Israel's leaders won't believe me. So God then gives Moses two miracles. This rod that turns into a snake and he also does this thing where he gives Moses the power to like take his hand and put it in the fold of his cloak and bring it out leprous, diseased, horrifying. And then to put it back in and pull it out totally healed. Well, Jesus' cross and resurrection correspond to that and they, those are much greater displays of power and victory than a little wooden staff and a kind of a parlor trick, really, compared to Jesus rising from the dead, a little leprous hand. Finally, Moses says, I'm not a fluent speaker. So God then gives Aaron to Moses to be the talker. The Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel of Jesus Christ into the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. God doesn't call us to do this alone. Here, we receive the forgiveness of sins. We are preserved in our faith 
by God's mighty power unto everlasting life. God doesn't call you to change on your own. He calls you into a community where we are all being changed together. Where God uses us as instruments in his hands to bring grace to you. So what are your excuses that you might give to God? God, I'm too old. God, I'm too young. God, I'm too messed up already. God, my train has left the station. My ship has sailed. The window of opportunity is closed. I'm past my prime. The voice from the bush is the voice of the Lord's messenger, Jesus. And Jesus says to you, I love you. I have redeemed you. I'm not finished with you. We've got work to do. In the early 19th century, Napoleon Bonaparte was in the middle of a huge battle, and his officer said, if we do not retreat now, we will be destroyed. Napoleon called his bugler and ordered him, sound the retreat. The 14-year-old bugler began to cry. Napoleon commanded him again, sound the retreat. The bugler replied, I was never taught how to sound a retreat. I was only ever taught how to sound a charge, an advance. In that case, Napoleon commanded, sound an advance. The bugler sounded an advance, and history records that Napoleon and his armies won that battle. You might be calling on God to sound a retreat in your life, but he only knows how to charge. He only knows how to take ground in your finances, in your personal relationships, in everything and anything that is going on in your life. He is at work in you, and he does not retreat. It's called the fire of God, and he is determined to change us through his presence, through his plan, and through his loving provision. And what are we to say to all of that? Well, here's one suggestion. We could all say, Hinani, here I am, Lord. Amen. Amen.